When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hey, welcome into a special holiday week edition of the show before the show podcast, the official podcast of minor league baseball as uh, my name is Tyler Ron and I am joined for the first time, just the two of us, that might not be true, but for an entire episode by uh, your best pal and mine, Josh Jackson. What's going on, dude? Welcome back to Not Quite Ghosts of the Miners. How's it going? <laughs> but a Ghosts of the Miners centric episode, which I'm very excited about uh, as we welcome you all into this latest uh, special edition of the show before the show. Um, you and I. A very you- happy new year yeah. to out there in radio land <laughs> whenever you're tuned in uh to this edition of ghost of the miners slash the show before the show um it is we're recording this on new year's eve tomorrow it will be the year 2022 which you would have asked me when i was a kid like what do you think life will be like in 2022 uh probably wouldn't have forecasted this um but hey you know we're uh we a new year dawns with all the promise of the last one, and hopefully it goes better than the last one did. Um, but if there is one fun thing that we discovered in our lives in 2021, it is uh, the hottest thing in the podcasting landscape, the podcast scape. Uh, I don't know if that, the podcast sphere. I meant sphere, uh, which is the addition of Ghosts of the Miners to the Minor League Baseball podcast, uh, which is the brainchild of one Joshua Jackson and uh, has become one of the most fun things that we have done on this show. And I wanted to do uh, a special episode. We got no Sam this week, so I uh, figured Josh and I would finally get a chance to talk about ghosts and its genesis and uh, all of those things. It's um been a fantastic thing for us to add to the show it's added such a fun element to the show i take zero credit for ghost of the miners everything you hear in that show is uh, is josh's brainchild it's josh's writing it's josh's research his jokes uh and it is all amazing stuff uh i i know that everybody has fallen in love with it we've gotten so much positive feedback on it i'm just going to talk for the entire uh show so i hope i hope that you're okay with that can I speak now? Uh, I'll start by immediately disagreeing with you. Oh, embrace debate. This is 2004 ESPN. um, I agree with you that, you know, it's certainly the most fun thing that I've been involved with on the, on the podcast, but um, you do, you know, for a fact that you do a tremendous amount of, of work and in making this uh, in making the segment sound great every week and, and being it have, the appropriate uh um i don't know if the word aesthetics applies to audio uh but gives a question vibe is the 21st century word to use uh you give it a vibe tyler you you help create its vibe and for that uh i i know that a lot more work goes into that than uh you're probably going to admit here and um I would also like to take a minute to say that both you, or all three, you and Sam and Ben, 
contribute jokes to it weekly. Um, and yeah, most of those do. I'm not funny. I, uh, <laughs> I, again, I disagree. Uh, uh, but, and, uh, Ben, especially the reason, you know, he, he's, we mentioned at the end of every episode, my producer, Ben Hill is he's always getting into some sort of trouble or, uh, or I'm always saving him from some sort of trouble or, yeah. or helping get into some sort of trouble. Um, and he truly is a producer in that he, from the get go has been an advocate for the show. And in this, in this iteration, I mean, I think we can even say that it's it, that it was his idea. There was a thing I actually found right before we started talking. I just found this document from a few years ago that I put together um, for Ben and I were talking about doing some different things. And I'd wanted to have like a quiz <laughs> where we tried to stump Ben's, Ben's biz. Um, and it had a lot of the, um, a lot of elements from Ghost of the Miners. Uh, yeah, I think that's sort of where the, the kernel was for me in, in, in getting together like a quiz show that would be just for Ben's biz. And then at the beginning of this run, Ben was the one who who brought this up and said, hey, uh, there's a segment to be had here with that that's, you know, right up Josh's alley. Um, so I can't even say for sure that it's, you know, my brainchild. What I'd like to do now, Tyler, if you'll if you'll allow it. I'll indulge. Is tell you about, um, originally with this quiz with Ben was not only going to be about teams, but he was also going to have to pick out made up players versus, uh, versus actual players who played in the minors. Um, and that have, would be very tricky because there have been have, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dudes who have played in the minors. Um, would you like to play around right now? I absolutely would. Which of the following um, <laughs> league baseball players actually did exist and play and play minor league baseball at one point in history? A. Brother Martin. B. Young Boozer. C. Jonas Koplak. Um. <sighs> I gotta go with Young Boozer. Correct. Yes. Young Boozer is the guy. <laughs> Indeed, Young Boozer. Please tell me that his father was known as Old Boozer, Elder um, Boozer, perhaps. Only in the family. They weren't. They weren't vocal about. Uh, yeah, he was. He was young. Jake. His full name actually was Young Jacob Boozer. So his name was actually Young Boozer. It was not a nickname. That's baseball reference has him here as Young. That's Jacob. incredible. Boozer, and he played for the 1937 Dauphin Browns, okay. or Browns in the Alabama Florida League, which was somewhat recently featured in Ghost of the Miners. That is amazing. Um, I'm very, I'm just very glad that I got it. I want to, much like Homer Simpson in the uh, the game in which he beats Bart in video game boxing, uh, the episode when he beats Bart in video game boxing, I want to retire uh, undefeated. Um, you, I, won't actually, I think you won't tell me. You won't tell me you won't tell me then whether uh, Dana Fertzwheeler or Ruben Smiley or <laughs> or Ben Hill is the real minor <laughs> player. Uh, Dana Fertzwheeler sounds like a fantastic 
old-timey minor league baseball player. It's Ruben Smiley. Ah, come on, Ruben! We could go on and on with ruined me. Likes of Butsy Zimmerman and <laughs> Sheriff Ro- <laughs> Sheriff Robinson and Ron Kump. There's some uh, amazing names and stories and histories throughout uh, the long scope of minor league baseball. And that's one of the things that makes Ghost of the Miners so endearing week after week is you're telling people's live stories that have been largely forgotten. I mean, there's, you know, a book out about the, the 1948 Cleveland Indians, or there's a, a story about the, you know, the New York Giants, the year that they, uh, the Giants win the pennant, when they had to come back win over the Brooklyn Dodgers by racing that big deficit in the division by stealing signs. Um, you know, there are these major league seasons and teams and moments and players who have been you know, maybe at times forgotten or glossed over who get their moment. Um, but that is not really the case with uh, so many of the subjects of Ghosts of the Miners. In fact, I don't even know if I can think of a single team where I'm like, oh yeah, I've definitely heard that story before. And that's what makes Ghosts of the Miners so cool. The, the thing that has stood out to me week after week is the amount of research that you put into telling the stories of these teams in our brief little segments, three to five minutes, whatever it is. Um, which I know can be a substantial challenge. And we actually have uh, one coming up that I'm not going to give you the, the team name because I don't want to ruin what it is, but I suggested the team name to you because I found it in some other research. And when you and I were talking about when that team was in existence, it was like, you know, the 1890s. And that makes research really, really challenging. Give us the rundown of how you research these teams and some of the roadblocks that you run into and some of the workarounds that you're able to find. Um, some of the workarounds, I'll start with uh, that right there, because um, some of them will be familiar to you as somebody who's written about minor league baseball and minor league history. One thing about if you're writing or, or making any sort of proclamations about minor league baseball or minor league history is that you never want to say something was the first uh, or the only unless yeah, you that is very true unless you know for certain, which you probably don't. Um, because we do, as, you know, this is both the, the, the challenge and um, sort of a blessing is that we have a tremendous amount of history to draw from here. Yes. Um, in terms of how many leagues there were and, you know, still are, and how many, how many teams there have been and how many different towns uh, across over, you know, well over a hundred years at this point. Um, so it, there's, there's plenty there. Um, and yes, I, <laughs> what's the question again? I, yeah, I think, uh, um, both, yeah, the, the challenges and the joys, uh, uh of research are, are sort of the same. It's, it's, hard to find things and it's really fun to look for things uh for me anyway um and hopefully yeah it is i do try to get as much of a um you know it's important to me that the segment stays snappy and and feels entertaining and not like homework especially i you know there are many kinds of of minor league baseball fans out there and I know, you know, this segment is not necessarily one that's going to be everybody's favorite, but I do want to keep it something that um, somebody who's not especially interested in minor league history isn't going to go, oh my God, this guy is droning on and on about 
<laughs> about this team from 1936 and I couldn't uh, give a care if I tried. And um, So I, I do try to keep it short, but I also do want to get in as much info about the team as I can while we're having fun about them. Um, and sometimes, sometimes there are teams where I find a lot of information and sometimes there are teams where whatever you hear me say in the segment is basically the only thing I was able to find about, about this team. Uh, and I've really, you know, um, pulled my hair out to, to try to get anything that I could to get into the segment. The amount of, you know, old timey newspapers that Josh, uh, researches and dives into and, um, pours over and sifts through, not in a physical sense, but, uh, thanks to the internet, uh, is pretty incredible. The one thing that I've wanted to know throughout so many of these is week to week, how do you come up with what is next? Uh, like in what structure have you found all of these wacky team names and uh, do you have a list? Do you have like a, all right, well, for the next, you know, four months, I'm covered because I've got, you know, two dozen insane names of teams. Uh, how does that process go? So in this same document that I um, had those lists of, of player names, which include the likes of Pidge Brown, Enon Caliph, and Khan Starkle, <laughs> Um, those, those are all three guys that actually played. Um, in that list, I also do have a list of team names. I haven't used very many of those. I'm not sure how I came to them. Uh, but I will tell you this. Coming up with the team for next time is usually the thing that I save till last. And I forget that I still have it ahead of me. And it takes a colossal amount of time. Um, I don't have a super efficient way of doing it, but I do think I have a, a, a pretty good way of doing it, which is sort of just looking around. Uh, <laughs> just looking around. I try to vary the points in history that we're at. I try yeah. to get a good mix of, okay, this one's from the 1890s. This one's from the 1920s. I also, uh, fun fact, I try to marry the background music to the era of the team. I've noticed I don't know if that, anybody's ever noticed. Okay. I, I was going to say, I've I don't know if anybody's it, ever noticed that, but I do try I to do that. I certainly appreciate that. Yeah, yes. Like some swing big band music for teams in the 30s and 40s, some like ragtime music from teams in the teens, you know. The 1890s, yeah. I don't even know if they had invented music yet. I don't think you they used it. Break out the fiddle some old moonshiners tunes but anyway please continue <laughs> so uh i don't have a good answer to that question of, of that is how, a good answer though uh, okay i just i just try to you know i say okay so we just did one from the 50s um and sometimes i'll say you know what it's been a long time since we've done two from consecutive decades or da 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 uh, I'll, I'll use this one, but usually I start with the period. What, what time period do we want to go to next? And, uh, and then from there, and yeah, that's all very, you know, um, somewhat arbitrary. I think, oh, it'd be fun to do the, you know, uh, then early fifties next week. Let's see what's out there. Um, and look around at what leagues we're playing and, and try to find, um, a team that I know we could have some fun with the name of, and it helps too if uh, a player with a name like um, 
Carlton Molesworth <laughs> on that team. Cause then I'll, I mean, I, I probably end up not using as many player mentions as, as I plan on using just because I'll find a player with a name like Carlton Molesworth and I'll think, Oh, we should use one of his teams. And then I find out, you know, there's, there's much cooler stuff about, uh, for example, the Elmira team with no team name of 1900, than the fact that, uh, Carlton Molesworth played for them. And it's fun too, because some of the best content in ghosts of the miners episodes are the fake team names that you come up with alongside the real team names. Uh, a, do you have a favorite of the fakes that you have come up with or multiple favorites and B what is the process for coming up with such convincing sounding names? Because you've done, I think the only time that I knew one of the ones to eliminate was you used Denver. You had the Denver dungarees as one of the fake teams. And I'm well-versed enough with baseball history in my hometown that I was like, well, I know that team was never real. Um, so I think I guessed correctly of the other two during that week's episode, but you always come up with like very, okay. I could believe that that would exist. Um, I think just from having worked in, <laughs> in minor league baseball and right about minor league baseball for for a while, I did email myself a list of all the fake names a while ago. So now I'm looking for that list. Um, nothing off the top of my head. Well, hold on one second. Let's. You can. You can go ahead. Let's. Uh, use Springfield was a Yeah. <laughs> Let's use the radio technology to skip over this part where I <laughs> frantically look for a list. Um, but I think I'm getting close i've got to be getting close i'm just leaving this part in because i know the you beginning are of the episode that is <laughs> this would be the most heavily edited episode i've ever had to do but i'm just gonna leave it all in i did say that <laughs> um i liked the allagash north stars being that a, was good being a, a Maine native yeah and, and living here in maine and knowing um that the the word or the name Allagash has has gotten some prominence elsewhere in the country because of a, a beer, um, and North Stars. It's it's in far northern Maine, um, so I thought that that was a sensible team. It it's not a sensible team in that geographically, I, there's not a lot of other teams they would have been able to play. Um, it's all logging roads up there. <laughs> They would have had a hard time finding finding another nine to, to go up against. They would have been able to produce a lot of bats, but they would not have had a lot of opponents to play against. That's correct. That's absolutely correct. Um, yeah, I also I'm a fan of the Lafayette Shrimp Freezers. <laughs> I love some of my favorite teams are those that are named after a town's industry. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there was the one the uh, there was a furniture makers uh, Bassett furniture makers. Bassett in uh, in North yeah. Carolina, correct? Yes, and I'll tell you in my browser, my work browser, um, I am continually getting ads now for <laughs> for <laughs> furniture made in North Carolina uh, because of the research that I did for that episode. That is um, incredible. The most common ad I get is. Either from don't you want this new Ottoman? Yeah, that company still oh, right. exists. Bassett Furniture. Yeah, or I get from their competitors. It's <laughs> like, oh, you think Bassett's so nice? Check out this nice chair. 
Oh man. So when you are, cause you know, so obviously you'll pick a team that's from a geographic region. We're like, you know, the Lafayette shrimp freezers, obviously you're going to pick in a reason, a region that has shrimp. Uh, do you, have you ever done in order to come up with like a fake team name? Have you ever thought like, well, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I should Google what they would have been known for in the 1920s. I have, I have looked, I have done that. Uh, and usually, and I'll yes. So you're shining more light on my on my process here than <laughs> this. I'm is asking those digging questions. Episode for for any for a lot of people. Uh, I apologize to all of you. Happy New Year. Um, but yeah, you're shining more of a light on my process than I than I have myself. Um, I do often, you know, if I start with a real team, and let's say that the real team is in Florida. I'll say, okay, let's get another, let's get a fake team from the Great Plains. Let's get a, uh, a fake team from the Pacific Northwest. Right. Um, and I will sort of look at, okay, what town is plausible? Uh, what town, you know, town demographics are interesting. Yeah. There are towns that are out there now that had much larger populations. Yeah. Um, in days of yore than they have now, or that have about the same population, except the, the population of the United States um, right. has, has exploded. So, you know, having a town of 10,000 people in the year 1900 is very different than a town of 10,000 people um, now. So those are, yes, those are things I look into. And then alliteration is also a big one because alliteration has always been uh, a way that that people will name their teams. Yeah. It just, because it sounds nice. I remember when uh, when the Omaha Royals were changing their name and became the Storm Chasers, one of the possibilities they tossed out there was the Omaha Omahogs because there had been mm -hmm. a team in the early 1900s, late 1800s named the Omahogs. And uh, I also think it's funny, too, because it connects us to this era of minor league baseball where, you know, every time, especially Brandiose is the company uh, that generally comes up with the wackiest names of minor league baseball rebrands. And every time a new Brandiose rebrand comes out, people pan it and they hate it and talk about how stupid it is and how embarrassing it is and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, they come around and those teams all end up being the top merchandise selling teams in minor league baseball and all of that. But on top of that. It really does tie into the history of minor league baseball because wacky names have been part of minor league baseball as long as baseball has been part of minor league baseball, which is a really cool thing to tie in with Ghosts of the Miners too, because I think it sheds light on the fact that this is part of the fabric and the identity of the minor leagues throughout its entire history. That's absolutely correct. And something that I, that I think about a lot uh, for, with this segment. And, you know, this is, this is a little bit of a downer, um, but the same is to be said with with cities losing their teams right uh, it's heartbreaking when a city loses its team but it's also something this the whole premise of this of this segment is that um teams very few teams uh statistically speaking last through through even one per you know one person's average lifetime right right um that's a rare thing. And, and, you know, I, I take from that, um, the same thing that, <laughs> that I take from <laughs> the knowledge that we will most likely die at some point. It's that we've got to treasure what we've got here. Right. Um, and I, I, I hope that that's also sort of the message, uh, of each episode. <laughs> I mean, it's, I try to keep it funny and light and everything, but that, you know, 
most of these teams had, I guarantee you all of these teams had at least one or two fans who just loved them. Right. Um, and, you know, market realities have always been a part of the minor league baseball landscape. Especially uh, back then, too. You know, when when these teams were existing in leagues that were only around for two, three, right. four years. Uh, or the Depression. Or hit, one year. Or, or, or it would wars start. Hit. Right, exactly. Yeah, start there was, and be over by July. There oh, was a team that fold. I did research for, we did a few companion pieces at MILB.com for Ghosts um, franchises. And I did one, and I can't remember what this team was, but yeah, I believe the season started in a league in April and had dissolved. By, the whole league had dissolved by June. Yeah. They were, by June, they're like, eh, we're not going to be able to make it. What? And it's, yeah, it's one team, you know, was, was making yeah. money. Nobody else was. Right, or exactly. Or, or, or nobody was. And, um, or like, you know, three teams fold in a five team circuit. Right. <laughs> do you know um now i mean in in that uh looking at things in that from that perspective we can be thankful that things are as stable as they are uh in early baseball you know over the last uh decades really i mean it's been decades since we've had we've had leagues go under mid-season um and yeah so that that message really is if you Love a team you've got. Make sure you love the team you've got. Because uh, at some point, we hope the size of remorseless swing can bring comfort to you all. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, really, at some, we hope that that day never comes for your team. That was just a deep cut quote from a TV show that Josh put me on like three years ago <laughs> that I've become obsessed with. And we text each other quotes from regularly. Um, but no, it really is true. And it is fascinating to look back on so much of the history of minor league baseball and realize like, oh yeah, these teams could have made huge impacts in these communities. And they were only there for a very, very short time. Uh, for every Toledo Mudhens franchise, for every Chattanooga Lookouts franchise, uh, for every Rochester Red Wings franchise, teams that have been in the same place, have had the same name, have had you know the same fan base, all of that for generations. For every one of those, there are dozens of teams uh, that didn't make it past a couple of years. And it also speaks to a much different era in sports in America in which teams were the the fabric of their towns in a lot of ways towns put together teams to compete against other towns because like that was recreation that was the thing to do people didn't have smartphones and tvs and and uh you know concerts to go to and all of that it was okay well why don't we get some some local guys together and let's go play against uh you know whatever the neighboring town shelbyville shelbyville exactly the shelbyvillians um and that's really cool about minor league baseball history too is i love when you know, you talk about the Three Eyes League uh, for Indiana, Iowa, and Illinois, or uh, the Nebraska State League, or the the Texas Louisiana League, or the Louisiana Florida League, or whatever it is. The the miners at the time, and obviously they were so much less codified and structured than they are now, but they were so grassroots uh, and so hyper, hyper, hyper local. And that's what honestly makes it fascinating that you're able to do research on teams like this is the fact that you're writing and, and talking about teams that existed, you know, a hundred years ago in some cases, and nobody outside of their town and maybe the towns in their league ever heard of them. And now we can bring their stories to people on a podcast. And I just find that very cool. It is very cool. It, you know, I, um, I'm not sure about this whole internet thing, but right, one, it might be a passing you know, fancy. A passing. One phrase. thing I'll say for it <laughs> is that 
as recently as uh i don't know maybe i was gonna say five years probably 10 years ago um a lot of the newspapers that I consult, a lot of the archives that I have access to online had not been digitized yet. Um, and there are still obviously plenty out there that, that, that still haven't. And so if I were to um, do research on some of these teams, really not that long ago, um, I would have had to probably go to a local library in Winona, Minnesota, or, you know, pick your town and, and, you know, take a look at the at the microfiche or the microfilm that they had, um, which I love to do, and uh, I wouldn't mind doing, um, especially in non-COVID times, traveling around the libraries and looking at various microfiche until I find everything I need. Um, but it is remarkable how much I'm able to find, how much one is able to find sitting in one's office and and looking at a computer screen. Yeah, it is. Uh... Pretty fascinating and amazing stuff. And uh, we have just loved it so much. The guy who, and I think I've mentioned this on every single episode of the show before the show since the tweet, uh, but there was a guy who tweeted at us around Thanksgiving that this was his favorite thing on any podcast ever. Uh, and it just like that lit me up with so much happiness. And uh, it is all credit to the man on our uh, radio airwaves, our podcasting waves in radio land, uh, Joshua Jackson, who is very close to the camera now, as though he has something really profound to say. Well, I'm going to leave the way I entered, denying that I'm, that I'm the, the person who should be getting all this credit here, when this really is a, uh, a team effort. Um, ben really did, you know, a lot of work in, in getting this going and you do a lot of work every week and Ben and Sam and you all do uh, work in with, with the script before I uh, so much as turn on my, my old fashioned microphone to, to do a recording and lay down the recording on wax cylinder. Right. Um, That's how Josh delivers it to me every week. It's via carrier pigeon. I don't even know where he gets them, but he sends carrier pigeons with his wax cylinders weekly. I have to digitize them. I got to put the effects in. It's a whole thing. One remarkable person out there birds. was like, whoa, really? <laughs> They're remarkable birds. Main to Colorado in a period, in, in a period of hours. And, and they don't went. lose the wax cylinders. It's incredible. It's really incredible stuff. Uh, well, this has been so much fun. A special edition of the Show Before the Show podcast to bring you the story behind Ghosts of the Miners, which you can catch in its triumphant return to the radio waves coming up next week. Uh, Josh Jackson, thanks, buddy. Thank you, and thank you all out there in Radio Land for tuning in. <laughs> He's Josh. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you for a regular episode of the show before the show coming up next week. <laughs>